0: Sherlock Holmes. We present the sixth and last play in our series based on the short stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized by Michael Hardwick, with Carlton Hobbs as Sherlock Holmes and Norman Shelley as Dr. Watson. And now, here is Dr. Watson to introduce his last bow. It was nine o'clock on the 2nd of August, 1914 the most terrible August in the history of the world. One might have thought already that God's curse hung heavy over a degenerate world, but there was an awesome hush and a feeling of vague expectancy in the sultry and stagnant air. The sun had long set, but one blood-red gash like an open wound lay low in the distant west. The stars were shining brightly. The lights of the shipping glimmered in Harwich Harbour and two Germans stood beside the stone parapet of the garden walk with the heavily gabled house behind them, and they looked down on the broad sweep of beach at the foot of the great chalk cliff. From below, the two glowing ends of their cigars might have been the smoldering eyes of some malignant fiend looking down in the darkness. Well, Walk, so far as I can judge the trend of events, you will be back in Berlin within the week. After four years in England, it will be almost strange. <laughs> you will be no stranger to our people, I can tell you. <laughs> As chief secretary of our embassy in London, I happen to know what is thought of the highest quarters of the work that you have done. Therefore, Helen, you flatter me. If you believe that, I think you will be surprised at the welcome you will receive. <laughs> For so little? These people have not been hard to deceive you know. A more docile, simple folk than the English could not be imagined. Oh, I <laughs> don't know about that. One first impression is they are entirely soft. Then one suddenly comes upon something very hard, and you know you've reached a limit. And must adapt yourself to the fact. True, true. Have another cigar, Tommy Arley. Thank you. Ah, I shall miss this view, you know. Those are the lights of Harwich over there. Really. But as I was saying, oh, I'm so sorry, the chat. Not at all. I was referring to British prejudice in all its strange manifestations. For example, one of my own worst blunders. Blunder? You, one of the Kaiser's most devoted agents? Oh, I can afford to talk of my blunders, because I'm well enough aware of my successes. <laughs> However, this happened soon after my arrival in London. I was invited to a weekend gathering at the country house of a certain cabinet minister. <laughs> I know, him. I've been there. Yes, the conversation was amazingly indiscreet. As always. Exactly. Well, I naturally sent in a resume of what I heard. Unfortunately, our good chancellor is a little heavy-handed in these matters. <laughs> oh. And he made a remark somewhere which gave away the fact that he knew what our cabinet minister friend had said. Typical. This, of course, took the trail straight up to me. No idea what harm it did not on there was nothing soft about our British hosts on that occasion. <laughs> I was two years living at down. Now, you, with this sporting pose of yours. Well, don't call it a pose. A pose is artificial. This is quite natural. I'm a born sportsman, so I enjoy it. Well, of course, that makes it more effective. You yacht against them, you hunt with them, you play polo. And my foreign hand took the prize at Olympia this year. Did you see? Indeed. They even tell me, and is it true, Van that you go to the lengths of boxing with young officers? Quite true, my dear von Hering. And what is the result? My quite magnificent figure. Uh-huh. The result, the true result, is that nobody takes you seriously. You are a good sport, quite a decent fellow for a jerk. <laughs> You're a hard-drinking, nightclub knockabout town devil-may-care young fellow, and all the time this country house of yours is the centre of half the mischief in England. <laughs> and the sporting squire, the most astute secret service man in Europe. Genius, my dear Van Bork. Genius. You flatter me too much, Baron. Still, I may admit that my four years in this country have not been unproductive. <laughs> unproductive? I've never shown you my little store secrets, secret, have I? No. Well, there will never be another chance. Shall we go inside? Please lead the way. Some of my papers have gone already with my wife and the household when they left yesterday. Oh, very shrewd. You have the embassy's protection for the rest and yourself, of course, Your name has been filed as one of the personal streets. Excellent. If you will come this way. I will just draw these curtains behind it. Of course, it is just possible that we may not have to go at all. England may leave France to her fate. Do you think so? We're sure there is no binding treaty between them. And Belgium? Belgium too. I don't see how that could be. There is a definite treaty with Belgium. England could never recover from the humiliation that she let Belgium down. For a little longer at peace, it would mean trading her honour. <laughs> My dear fellow, honour is a medieval conception. We live in a utilitarian age. Besides, England simply isn't ready. It's an inconceivable thing to us. But even our special war tax of fifty million hasn't aroused these people from their slumber. And you'd think that made our purpose appear as if we'd taken the front page of the Times to advertise it. <laughs> No, oh, Van Bock. Depend on it. What with our lack of preparations for meeting submarine attacks, making explosives and so forth, not to mention the devil's brew we have stirred up to keep her busy in Ireland, England cannot come in. Yet, you know, she will. Yeah, I agree. It is a question of when. I should think they would be wiser to, to fight with allies than without them. This is John Bull's week of destiny. And you, my dear Van Bock, will be found to have influenced that destiny. More than any other. Thank you, there. Now, these papers. Of course. Here is quite a simple safe, you see. You've only aided by behind curtain. Who should suspect such a good sport? There. Quite an ordinary combination, and... What's these two? God, in. So many pigeonholes. Harbor defenses, aircraft, portsmouth forts. Recite scarpa flow. It's colossal. Not such a bad four years' work by the hard-drinking, hard-riding country squire, eh, Baron? (laughs) But the gem of the collection is coming tonight. And there's the setting for it: naval signals. But there's a thick dossier there already. Waste paper. Somehow, the Admiralty got the alarm and every code has been changed. Uh. It was a blow, Baron. The worst setback in my whole campaign. But thanks to my checkbook and the good Altamont... Altamont? Look at this telegram. Mm -hmm. We'll come without fail tonight and bring new sparking plugs. Altamont. Sparking plugs. He poses as a motor expert, and I have many motor cars. In our code, everything likely to come up is named after some spare Uh part. If he talks of a radiator, he means a battleship. An oil pump is a cruiser. And sparking plugs? Naval Signals. The new Admiralty codebook. Worth how much? 500 pounds. Of course, I give him a salary as well. Greedy devil. They're useful, these traitors, but I grudge them their blood money. I grudge, I nothing. He's a wonderful worker, and he delivers value for money. Besides, he's not a traitor. I assure you... Our must-pengerman Juncker is a sucking dove in his feelings towards England compared with our real bitter Irish-American... <laughs> An Irish-American, eh? You should hear him speak. I can hardly understand him at times. He seems to have declared war on the king's English as well as on the English king. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Van very really good. Well, I must be going. Must you? As you can imagine how things are moving just now at Carlton you. I must be back to my post. We shall expect you there tomorrow morning, then. Think of it, Van Bach. When you bring that code book through the little bar on the Duke of York steps, you can write finish to your record in English. So, now you see, my precious. <laughs> a bottle of tokay. May I offer you a glass before you dry? Uh, no, thanks. Well, all the more for Altamont. He has a nice taste in wine, and he took a fancy to my Tokai. Not a jacob of a fellow. He's a patchy chap. He needs humoring in small things. So, let us go into the garden again. We can get to your car that way. Well in, Baron? Ah, still and peaceful, it all seems. Hmm? But it may be less tranquil this time next week if all the good Zeppelin promises us comes through. <laughs> no. The lights just come on in that room. Ah, that will be Martha. Martha? My owner may be certain. I always tell her to retire early when Altamont's coming She'd hardly approve of his type. Well, a pleasant drive, my dear friend Herring. I'll be there, Robert. i Until tomorrow. Like you are, Good evening, Altamont. Well? You can give people the glass hand tonight, mister. I'm bringing home the bacon at last. You've got the codes? All of them? Every last one. Semaphore, lamp, Marconi. How about that, huh? Come in, come in. Sure. Hey, you making ready to move or something? No, no, no. I'm just rearranging the furniture a little. Uh-huh. Gee whiz. What now? That's safe. Now, you don't tell me you keep your papers in that. Why not? In a wide-open contraption like that. It's usually concealed behind a little curtain. No one would think to look. And if they did, what would they find?
1: What? Just a tin box that any
0: Yankee crook would be into with a can opener. (laughs) And they reckon you to be some spy. (laughs) Ha! Why, if I'd known that anything in my handwriting was going to lie loose in the thing like that, I'd have been a mug to hand it over at all. My dear Edmund, no crook in the world is going to force that safe. That's tin, as you call it. It is a metal that cannot be cut with any tool. Is that so? And the lock is a double combination. Uh, a double? How's that? You don't know what is a combination lock? I haven't a notion. And I thought you were some spy. <laughs> Come, i assure you. And you can see me for the way the sparking glasses. eh? <laughs> there are two dials, you see. Perfect. One has letters, the other has numbers. You adjust the lock so it can only be opened by a certain combination of those letters and numbers. A word and some figures to follow. You select them on this dial and hit by them. Is that so? Would you care to try to open it now? Sure, sure. Uh, 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 now, wait a minute. I don't know the goddamn code. Exactly. So now, do you think any Yankee cook could find his way to our secret, Edmund? Ah, I guess I give you best, Mr. Von Bork. Ah, but you will have to give me better still in a moment, my dear fellow. How's that? I had this safe installed four years ago, and I write here. What do you think was the combination I chose for its lock? Gee, I don't know. Well, as we worked so closely together, Altamont, I will admit that you are right. I am preparing to leave. Ah. Tomorrow, in fact. Tomorrow? Then I guess I know what that means. Exactly. Therefore, I see no harm in telling you the combination of words and figures that alone will open this safe. It is August 1914. My, but that was smart. Four years ago you knew that. Yes, even then there were a few of us who could prophesy the date. And here we are, August 1914, and I am shutting down tomorrow morning. Within 48 hours I shall be in Berlin. You will, huh? And how about me? You? Sure. I guess you'll have to fix me up, too. I'm not staying in this goddamn country all on me lonesome. From what I see, in a week or less, old John Bull will be up on his hind legs and fair ramping. And believe me, I'd sooner watch him from over the water. But you are an American citizen, Eldermott. So what? So Jack James was an American citizen. But he's doing time in Portland now. He cuts no ice for the British cop to tell him you're an American citizen. It was James' own fault. He almost asked them to catch him. Oh, James was a bonehead, I give you that. But what about Hollis? The man was mad. Sure. A guy can go that way when he has to act apart from morning to night. But now there's Steiner. Sh- Steiner? What about him? He didn't know. They got him, that's all. They Raided his store last night. He's in Portsmouth jail. Say, it seems to me you don't do much to cover your men, Von Bork. What do you mean by that? You'll go off tomorrow. And Steiner's left to stand the He'll be lucky if he gets off with his life, and you know it. But I don't understand how they could have got on to him. Ah, it's the worst blow yet. Sure, but you nearly had a worse one. What was that? I believe they're not far off me. What? They were making some inquiries of me landing. Soon as I heard of it, I guessed it was time to hustle. What I don't understand, von Borg, is how the cops get to know these things. Is the fifth man you've lost since I signed on with you, and I know the name of number six. If I don't get a move on, now just how would you explain that? How dare you speak to me in such a way? If I didn't dare things, Mister, I wouldn't be in your service. I've heard some things about the way you Germans treat an agent when he's finished his work. Do you dare to suggest that I had done such things? All I say, is I'm taking no more chances. No, sir. It's me for a little Holland, and the sooner the better. Look here, my dear Altamont. We have been allies too long to quarrel now. And every hour of victory. You have done splendid work and taken risks I cannot forget. By all means, go to Holland. You can get a boat from Rotterdam to New York. I promise you, no other shipping line will be safe a week from now. Well, okay. Good. Now give me the code book, and I will put it where it will be safe. Altamont? What about the dough? The what? The boot. The reward. The 500 pounds. You don't seem to have a very high opinion of my honor. Haven't I always paid? Sure. But at this time, you want the money before you give up the book? It's a business transaction, David. All right. That's your way. My check is here. Already made out. Yet, since we are to be on such terms, I don't see why I should trust you any more than you trust me. So, there's my check on the table. I claim the right to examine that parcel before you pick the money up. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah. Nicely bound, don't you think? What what, what is this? book of bee culture with some... Observ- uh, I can't.
1: What, what are you doing?
0: What, what is the real of this? And you too, my dear von Bork, will be nicely bound. Another glass, Watson? Uh, I I say, this is a good wine, Holmes. A remarkable wine, Watson. An imperial tukai, which our friend upon the sofa has assured me often enough, comes from the Emperor Franz Joseph's special cellar at the Schoenbrunn Palace. Mm -hmm. Oh, might I trouble you to open the window, my dear fellow? Chloroform vapour doesn't help the (laughs) palate. You haven't seen Holmes. I say, you really put him under... All the same, I'm relieved to see him securely bound. He's a resourceful fellow. You think any of his cronies may turn up, Holmes? I fancy not. He allows very few of them to visit him here, in case they're followed and lead the authorities to him. Mm. No, there's only one person likely to interrupt us now, and that.
1: Excuse me, Mr. Holmes. I, I wondered... If... Ah!
0: Martha, oh. Come in and greet an old friend.
1: Why, it's... Oh, I'm so
0: oh. 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 oh, oh, how are you, Mrs. Hudson? Well, bless my soul, you don't look a minute older.
1: Oh, go on with you, sir. My, but you're looking well yourself, sir.
0: Well, I can't grumble, you know. A retirement can do a man a world of good if he's got his interests.
1: That's what Mister Holmes is always saying, isn't it, sir? Quite, sir. Oh, oh dear me. Oh, I hope you didn't have to hurt him, Mr. Holmes. Not at all. Well, I'm glad. he has been a good master, according to his likes. He wanted me to go off with his wife to Germany yesterday, where he said I would be safer. (laughs) But that would hardly have suited your plans, would it, sir? No,
0: indeed. So long as you were here, I was easy in my mind. When your lamp came on as you saw his visitor leaving, I knew that all would be well.
1: It was the secretary of the embassy, sir... Baron von Hurling. I know.
0: His car passed us.
1: I thought he would never go. I knew you wouldn't want to find him here.
0: No, indeed. Well, I suppose you have everything ready to leave. All packed, sir. Capital. You can report to me in London tomorrow, then. At Claridge's hotel.
1: Very good, sir. Well, I won't interrupt you any longer. Good night, Doctor Watson, good sir. Night. I hope we shall meet again. Oh,
0: Mrs. Hudson, my dear. Something assures me that we have many, many more meetings to come.
1: I'm sure, sir. Well, good night, gentlemen. Good night,
0: Martha. Good night, Mrs. Hudson. <coughs> Another glass, my dear Watson. Thank you, Holmes. Now, as for uh, the papers in this safe, which our friend so kindly instructed me how to open, they will at least show our people what is known to the Germans and what is not. I may say that a good many of these papers have come through me. And I need not add, are thoroughly untrustworthy. (laughs) I never pictured you in the espionage business, Holmes. It would brighten my declining years to see a German cruiser navigating the Solent according to the minefield plans I have furnished. (laughs) But now, my dear Watson, how about you, hmm? Mm. Why, I've hardly seen you in the light yet. Mm. How have the years used you? You look the same blithe boy as ever. Hardly a boy, Holmes. (laughs) Well, I feel 20 years younger tonight. <laughs> I've seldom felt so happy as when I got your wire... asking me to meet you at Harris with the car. Thank you, Watson. But, you know, you, Holmesy... you've changed very little, too. <laughs> Same with that horrible little beard. This is one of the sacrifices one makes for one's country. Tomorrow, the beard will be but a dreadful memory. With my hair cut and a few other superficial changes... I shall no doubt reappear as I was before this American stunt.
1: Oh,
0: Oh, I I beg your pardon, Watson. My well of English seems to be permanently defiled. I meant as I was before this Hibernian-American job came my way. (laughs) But you had retired, Holmes, living the life of a hermit among your bees and books on that small farm on the south side. Exactly, Watson. Here is the fruit of my leisure days. What's this, what is it? The magnum opus of my letter, yes. A practical handbook of bee culture with some observations upon the segregation of the Queen. Great heavens, Holmes. Alone I did it. Behold the fruit of pensive nights and laborious days when I watched the little working gangs as once I watched the criminal world of London. But how on earth did you get back to work again? (laughs) I've often marveled at it myself. The foreign minister alone, I could have withstood. But when the premier also deigned to visit my humble roof... The premier, eh? The fact is, Watson, that this gentleman on the sofa was a bit too good for our people. He was in a class by himself. Coming to, Holmes. Good. You see, Watson, things were going wrong. Agents were suspected or even caught. But there was evidence of some strong and secret central force. It was absolutely necessary to expose it. So they came to you? strong pressure was brought on me to look into the matter. True, I have missed two years of contented retirement, but they have not been devoid of excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Waiter, they haven't. You'll be around in a moment. Mm. You'll realize how complex the matter was when I say that I started my pilgrimage at Chicago, graduated in an Irish secret society at Buffalo, (laughs) gave serious trouble to the constabulary at Skipperine, and so eventually caught the eye of a subordinate agent of Von Bork, who recommended me as a likely man. A likely man. <laughs> Since then, I've been honored by his confidence, which has not prevented most of his plans going subtly wrong, and five of his best agents being in I watched them, Watson, and I picked them if they ripen. Oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah. Well, sir, I hope you're none the worse. Fine Though unmusical, German is the most expressive of all languages, Watson. Mr. Von Borg, you have a lot to answer for. I shall get level with you, Alzheimer's. If it text me all my life, I shall get level with you. Ah, the old sweet song. How often have I heard it in days gone by? It was a favorite ditty of the late lamented Professor Moriarty. <laughs> Colonel Sebastian Moran has also been known to warble it. And yet, I live and keep bees on the South side. As my speech shows you, Mr. Altamont has no existence, in fact. I used him, and he is gone. I remain. But then, but then, but then who are you? It is really immaterial who I am. But since the matter seems to interest you, I may say that this is not my first acquaintance with your family. It was I who brought about the separation between Irene Adler and the late king of Bohemia, when your cousin Heinrich was the imperial envoy. Himmel! It was I also who saved from murder Count von Unzu Grafenstein, who was your mother's elder brother. It was I... But did you... Did, did... There is only one man who... Exactly. Oh! oh. oh most of that information came through you! It's my ruin forever. You have done your best for your country, and I have done my best for mine. What could be more natural? Besides, it is surely better to fall to me than to some more ignoble sir. <sighs> I trust you're as comfortable as your bonds will allow. Oh, should I be guilty of a liberty if I lit a cigar and placed it between your lips? You may go to the Sherlock Holmes. I suppose you realize that you are a private individual... and that this whole proceeding is illegal and outrageous. Absolutely. Kidnapping a German subject And stealing his private papers. Watson. Hmm? I think we best make ready to start for London at once. I have a check for 500 pounds here, which should be cashed early. But something tells me the drawer is quite capable of stopping it, if he can. Right, Holmes. Get all the papers out of that safe, Watson... The combination is August 1914. You too, sir. You are equally guilty as his accomplice. If I were to shout for help as we pass through the range, My dear sir, if you did anything so foolish, you would probably enlarge the two limited titles of our village inn by giving us the dangling Prussian as a signboard. The Englishman von Bork is a patient creature, but at present his temper is a little inflamed. And it would be as well not to try him too far. No, Mr. Von Bork. You will go with us to Scotland Yard, from where you can send for your friend Baron von herling, and see if even now you may not fill that place which he has reserved for you in the ambassadorial suite. Ah. Already then, Holmes. Hmm. Watson, step out onto the terrace with me for a moment, will you? they the last quiet talk we shall ever have. Oh, don't say such a thing. There's an east wind coming, Watson. Oh, I think not, Holmes. It's very warm. <laughs> Good old Watson. You are the one fixed point in a changing age. There's an east wind coming, all the same. Such a wind as never blew on England yet. It'll be cold and bitter, Watson, and a good many of us may wither before its blast. But it's God's own wind, nonetheless. And a cleaner, better, stronger land will lie in the sunshine when the storm has cleared. Well, let's pray it will. Um... Last Bow by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was adapted for radio by Michael Hardwick and was the last program in the series. The part of Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Von Hurling, Francis Wolf, Von Bork, Dennis Goethe, Mrs. Hudson, Janet Morrison. The production was by Graham Gore.